The Cincinnati Reds are having a fantastic season, and it's partially due to robo-omps. What do they do at the trade deadline? We hopped on with Jeff Carr of Locked On Reds to talk about it. You are Locked On MLB Prospects, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Well, it is trade season, despite the fact that no trades have been happening here recently. Although I did see the Cardinals traded away a relief pitcher, and now JD's complaining about the bullpen, so there's that. Uh, the trade season is in full effect for those who are selling, and for those who are buying, like the Cincinnati Reds, like we have heard from Nick Crawl, there are some things that they need to take care of, and there are some questions that we have, like how much is too much for a prospect? And, and when you're talking about the different guys that the Reds have in their farm system, who is untouchable to help us with all of that. We have our locked on MLB prospects, man, Lindsey Crosby coming in here. And uh, Lindsey, I know that you've been high on the Reds farm system all season long. Uh, lots of people have lauded the amount of talent that Nick Kroll has hoarded over these last couple of years. <laughs> so for most of us fans, we would look at that and we say, all right, we got enough to trade for just about anybody we want to go get. <laughs> Why is that flawed right now? So the big thing to remember when it comes to trade deadline deals are one, the prices, you mentioned the prices are high, but the prices are artificially high. And mm -hmm. this year, doubly so, simply because there's that cluster of eight teams in the middle that we don't know if they're going to buy or, or they're going to sell, right? And so the best thing that you can do is like, you can go out. I don't expect the Reds to be at the top of the market for anybody. And right. some of that is because look at the success this team has had this year. So much of that success has come on the strength of getting the kids from the farm system to the bigs. So the last thing you want to do is take away the next kids that would be coming up to the bigs. Uh, I, I only have a few guys in the system that are kind of untouchable, but okay. for the most part, I think there's some acknowledgement that like, yes, Costs are very high. You're probably not going to make a giant swing, but it is entirely possible to improve this roster without decimating your farm system. I've looked at this and I, I've thought that there's not necessarily a singular. So I'm very interested in who you're who you're looking at singularly as untouchable. I've kind of thought like Nick Crawl probably has a number in his head like this is the number of like prospects that we have that I will trade and I'm not going anymore. Like I'm thinking he's only looking at like three or four because kind of like you said, I don't think he's going to be setting the market with any sort of deal, but I do think he's going to make some moves, but I am curious because you had mentioned you do have a couple of guys you would list as untouchable. Who are you looking at? So for me, the two guys uh, and, and, and okay, clarifying, I'm not taking guys off the major league roster. So I'm not trading Jonathan India. Yeah. I'm not trading CES. I'm not trading Spencer Steer. None of that, with the exception of maybe a fringe piece like a Jose Barrero. But mm -hmm. for me, right-hand pitcher Chase Petty is a guy that should not get moved. Uh, the combination of stuff. I mean, he's been, he's been, he's looked very good this season. He is more of a pitcher than a thrower, and uh, the 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 ceiling of the the fastball with the velocity that he can take it to as well as the split change some of the stuff that he does I think that he's realistically a number three pitcher mm. and that's something where look at the rotation you have now once everybody's healthy you have a Graham Ashcraft and a Lodolo and a Green uh, he, he is a very 
key piece to this team being competitive going forward. So Chase Petty is sticking around for me. Uh, the other guy is Edwin Arroyo. And I, everybody's probably thinking it's going to be Noli Marte, right? But it's Edwin Arroyo. And to me, it's because he's such a good defender. And this is something right now your infield is kind of set, pretty much set for the most part. But Edwin Arroyo is the type of player his offensive approach has been getting better and better and better. His OPS, lefty and righty, is just about the same, which is very rare to see. And the defense is so incredibly good that he's one of those guys that gives you a ton of options when he gets to the major league level because he can not only play gold glove caliber shortstop, he could kick in or out to second or third, whatever he had to do uh, to, to help this team in case of injuries. And so he's a guy, the defensive ceiling, he's not going to hit for a ton of power, but the defensive ceiling and the offensive skill, he's also the second guy on my list I'm not getting rid of. But just about everybody else, I would be open to it. But like you said, everything that we've heard from Nick Crawl, it's going to be, we've got two or three guys we're looking at moving, and that's probably about it. I'm thinking, when I when I look at it, Lion Richardson, double-A starting pitcher, probably a guy looking to get moved, especially because the double-A Southern League, that tacky baseball has kind of inflated some of the trade values of some of the pitchers. Mm-hmm. And then a guy like a Reese Hines, someone who... Uh, is far enough away where you're not going to immediately hurt if you lose him, but he's also uh, been in the system long enough to show the talent and show the potential. His trade value is probably not any higher than it's going to get right now. Yeah, that was one thing that I, I, his streak that he went on, I believe it was in May, Mm -hmm. that he was just hitting the cover off the ball, seemed like every night, and there were some folks that were starting to wonder, oh, is he figuring it out? And as much as I would love to feel that way, there's been so much more of a sample size that has told us that figuring it out might be this. It might yeah. just be what we are seeing, and he probably cools off, and he becomes a very streaky hitter who, sure, he's going to show you some power for a short period of time. So, yeah, as as weird as it might say, being the fact that we are talking about a farm system that is loaded with infield talent and lots of question marks in the outfield, yeah, I think Reese Hines uh, is a guy that I would have on that list, and Kind of like you said with Richardson, like I, I feel as though looking at his future, is he really a rotation guy? Like, are we looking at him getting to the Reds in the major leagues and being in this rotation? That's hard to say, especially with you talking about Chase Petty. It's very obvious that Connor Phillips is going to be up here soon. Mm-hmm. And you've already got at least four guys in the major leagues that are bona fide starters. Um, and a couple of dudes coming back from injured. So I, I really think that overall pitching might actually be a little bit of a strength to deal from. And I, you know, you always say that you need like six or seven guys through the course of a season, but Liam Richardson might be one of those six or seven guys for another team to get a guy right now for the Reds. Yeah. For, for both of them, it really kind of comes down to maximizing their value. And are they going to be, uh, higher value than they are right now. Going back to Heinz for a second, something where the strained hamstring kind of explains, okay, like this is why the numbers change. But before that, the hottest hitter, like you said, six straight uh, games with home runs in June, cut his strikeout rate by about 10%. And it's something where I don't necessarily know if the strikeout rate's going to get low enough where he's going to be a consistent regular. He's just going to be a streaky guy. Your power tool is only as good as your hit tool. But it is easy to say this is probably the the highest the trade value will be. Richardson, same situation. A lot of the scouting updates that came out in June or early July were, 
the the fastball has been as good as we thought it was. It's mid to high 90s, but the changeups look plus. The slider, the curveball have both looked to be at least average or above average, and they know better than we do, but again, so many of those double-A Southern League pitchers look better than they might actually be because of the effects of that baseball. So if you're someone who, like you mentioned, doesn't necessarily think he's going to be good enough to break the rotation, then now's the time to deal him before uh, the numbers potentially slide backward a bit to maybe what he actually is. want to get your take on uh, Jose Barrero because I feel like he is a guy that we know where he fits on this roster, and he's kind of like the 28th man, 29th man. Like It's going to take some injuries for him to get back to the major leagues, and even then, he's not going to be an everyday player. He's going to be rotation player at best Mm -hmm. is is there someone out there who could look at him and say maybe we could fix him maybe we could hone in his skills because he still is that dude that was uh putting all the high scouting grades out there it's just for some reason it hasn't come together yet that is exactly why i was looking at barrero possibly being an option to get moved from the major league roster there's always that gm out there who sees the former top prospect and sees them not succeeding and says, well, I can fix him. It's like in dating, right? Right. <laughs> I can fix him. And you so often see so many trades where a top prospect will move from one organization to another. It's a change of scenery trade. Mm-hmm. And he feels like a guy that would be other teams would be interested in because the defense is very good. I mean, he has a plus glove at short. He's still very young, so lots of contractual control. And then again, he was a former top prospect who had the positive scouting reports. And there's going to be a GM who thinks, well, we can fix him even if they couldn't. So I don't know who it's going to be, but it feels like he's an option there. Nick Senzel, possibly something similar to that as well. He's uh, he's starting against lefties. Uh, It feels like somebody may think he could do a bigger role than what he's doing now. He did just hit a home run off a right-handed pitcher, and that surprised the heck out of everybody whenever it happened. I was like, wait, what hand is that? Oh, perfect. Oh, hey, hey. Perfect timing for for a GM to think, hey, that guy could sneaky be a everyday starter versus just a, a small short side platoon guy. Like that's the timing around the deadline. The schedule matters so much. Individual performance matters so much because recency bias, right? Like we all are susceptible to ignoring the long track record of this because we have well, we just saw him look really good against a righty, so he probably can do it. Let's go get him and make him a full-time starter. Yep. No, and I, I would be very interested to see maybe if that change of scenery really unlocks the potential that we we saw in him as he came through the minor leagues. Back to our conversation with Jeff in just a minute, but first, today's episode is brought to you by our friends at Ibotta. If you're picking up burgers and hot dogs for a summer grill, you know, like, if you're already doing it, why not get cash back for it? That's what Ibotta does. Now that it's officially summer, the way that Ibotta works, they give you cash back on hundreds of grocery items from produce, personal care, pantry goods, meat, whatever it might be. You can make sure you're beating inflation no matter what you're purchasing. You link your loyalty account to the grocery store or you upload your receipt after you shop and you get cash back. It's that easy. The average Ibotta user earns $120 per year. You can use that cash back for however you want. Might cover an entire shopping trip for you. Other apps that give you points don't actually give you that much. With Ibotta, you get real cash back. You can either get uh, gift cards, you can pay yourself via PayPal or cash out directly to your bank account. 
You can also earn cash back on hundreds of online brands and retailers when you start with Ibotta, including Lowe's, Macy's, Sephora, Best Buy, and more. So right now, Ibotta is offering our listeners $5 just for trying Ibotta. By using the code MLB, when you register, go to the App Store or the Google Play Store, download the free Ibotta app, use code MLB. That's Ibotta, I-B-O-T-T-A, in the Google Play or App Store, and use code MLB. Speaking of all of these trades, the biggest thing, there's there's a camp of Reds fans, and I don't necessarily consider myself a part of this, but I understand the, the plan that Nick Kroll has set forth and how much trades would actually derail that plan or, 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 or be part of that plan. I don't know. The biggest question everybody has, though, is can the Reds restock? Can they, you know, kind of wear through and i'm trying to think of the word gosh can they can they <laughs> survive a trade deadline where they give up maybe a noel v Marte, maybe some top prospects and things like that and my first thought was well they just had a pretty decent draft did their draft set them up for success with trading away maybe one or two top guys this season yeah so a lot of what Cincinnati did in the draft, especially when it came to pitching, was they took high-level college pitching that either has done it at the highest level, Rhett Lauder and Ty Floyd in the College World Series, or has done it consistently in those larger conferences. Hunter Holland at Arkansas, doing it in the SEC. Um, And so it feels like if you want, if you move arms, you've got guys coming in behind them that should be quicker to get to the bigs Mm -hmm. because they have that high-level uh, pitching experience, and especially in the case of a Rhett Louder, you have a guy who has done the the development that comes along with being at Wake Forest and the Wake Forest Pitching Lab. When you look at some of the the position players that they got, it's a good balance of going and get some high ceiling um, prepsters like a Sammy Stafura out of they say of New York, I think, mm. as well as going out and getting some college guys at positions of need. you got uh, Virginia outfielder Ethan O'Donnell, big fan of what he can bring. Long Beach State catcher Connor Burns is, was probably not only the best defensive catcher in the draft, but probably one of the better defensive catchers we've seen in the draft in mm-hmm. four or five years. I don't know how well he's going to hit, but it's, you know a couple options at first base, Carter Graham from Stanford, Jack Moss from Texas A&M, like, it's a really good job of getting a diverse amount of talent at positions of need on the hitting side with pitchers that should be able to move quicker through the system and supplement if you do have to get an arm or two out at the deadline. So it feels like to me, and and this is something where I'm definitely weak when it comes to looking at draft and how it pertains to the team. I understand teams generally, all 30 teams pick from best available but in the case of Sammy Stafford, I was thinking about this, like, is he a perfect kind of, not necessarily one-for-one one replacement, you really slot him into Noel V. Marte's ranking or something like that. But if the Reds were to deal Noel V. Marte, they could look and they say, well, we've got this kid who, yeah, he's not on the same timeline as Noel V. Marte, but we don't need him to be because we have all of these middle infielders up in the bigs already. Yeah, he's he's definitely a situation where we can afford to wait a little bit longer to get him to the bigs, but impact at the major league level, he can have the same type of impact that Noel Marte could have had. And it feels to me like 
if you were putting some sort of conspiracy theory on it, like, okay, we're preparing ourselves if we don't have Noel B. Marte, we still have that high ceiling left side of the infield guy coming up through the system. Um, but him, pitcher Cole Schoenwetter out of California, like two young guys that very much fit the timeline of the next wave of prospects to come because you've gotten most of these guys up. And and I do see in some places in there, some of the guys that went, you took a, a, a shortstop in the 16th round, Bernard Moon out of a, a high school in Georgia, you know, just a couple different guys, Kyle Henley out of high school again in Georgia, that very high ceilings and guys that that could be replacements for people that you could trade, like a Reese Hines, like a Noel B. Marte. You can see how they, they match a profile. You can see how they match a ceiling, but you're resetting the timeline. And it. I always love the Reds draft. I really like this one. I really thought it was a good job of getting value, of getting guys who can help the Major League team both sooner and later. And so because of that, you now have more options at the trade deadline because you've restocked some of these key positions like shortstop, like outfield, and like pitch, starting pitching. I feel like, and and it's going to be unfair to compare anyone to these two players, but I feel like Matt McClain, my t-shirt, and uh, Andrew Abbott have kind of reset our expectations as far as like college, college players that are pretty advanced that get picked high by the Reds. Will we see Rhett Lauder and, um, and, and I'm blanking on the other guy's name, Ty, Ty Floyd. Ty Floyd, Ty Floyd. Uh, will we see those guys in two years? It's entirely possible. Uh, louder, possibly more so than Floyd, depending on health. Uh, Floyd is very much, he he's a little bit more raw as a pitcher, right? It's a big fastball guy, that, that uh, fastball up in the zone, tons of swings and misses. We saw that huge 17 strikeout game he had in the College World Series, but his secondaries are a work in progress. Rhett Louder is more of a complete pitcher. Obviously, you've got the, the, the changeup is one of the best pitches in this entire class, but then uh, what kind of extra development can you do? His is the, the transition to throwing every five days. I absolutely see both of those guys, but louder more so than Floyd, as a potential of 2024 end of season. We get them a couple starts just so they can get their feet wet at the major league level, see how hitters react to them, and then work in the offseason at a 2025 Rookie of the Year campaign. Like, it, it really feels like they should be able to move that fast. And if you needed Floyd sooner, you could probably put him in the bullpen, you know, sometime later next year, and he, he could be effective out of there as well. But if you want them both as starters, you're looking at a uh, cup of coffee in 24, contending in spring training for a start in 25. And really, that's that's all you can ask for from from your top draft picks there. That's That's the best case scenario, obviously. So you heard it here first. Whenever the Reds trade a couple of top dudes for Justin Verlander, they're going to be okay because the draft was amazing. Lindsay, I appreciate you so much for coming on. Uh, we know that there's a lot of great stuff coming down the pipe for MLB prospects. You're going to be all over uh, the prospects that get dealt at the deadline because mm -hmm. as quiet as it's been so far, it's not going to be quiet. I know at least the last couple of days leading up to the deadline – that's when everybody's going to get their get their get their trades in. It's going to be like you know trying to get the homework in right there at the end, uh, right there under the gun. Sunday, uh, Monday, and Tuesday afternoon is going to be wild around here. We'll have uh, breakdowns of everybody that gets moved. If not right away, then we'll get them on Wednesday show. It's going to be just tons of coverage on Locked On Movie Prospects.
Okay, so in the open, I mentioned how some of the success the Cincinnati Reds were having was because of automated balls and strikes. And as you obviously know, uh, the Cincinnati Reds have had a lot of contributions this year from guys that have come up from the minors, whether it be a couple pitchers, Andrew Abbott and guys like that, but specifically some of the hitters, Ellie De La Cruz, uh, you saw Matt McClain, Christian Encarnacion Strand was the most recent one. And if you don't remember from early in the season, AAA is using automated balls and strikes, and they're using the challenge system. But the way that it works is the first three days of the series are automated balls and strikes with the challenge system. Days four through six is uh, standard umpiring as normal. And so what a lot of these prospects had a chance to do when they were in AAA was they had a chance to face pitchers that weren't as good and pitchers or and umpiring from the robo umps that was better. It was automated and it was exact. And so the Reds general manager actually talked about this. He said that this is one of the reasons why these hitters have been able to come up and be so good this year. The quote was, it's helping them learn the strike zone, helping them learn what a strike is, what a ball is, and I think it's been good for all of our hitters. You look at our hitters in AAA and what they've been able to do the first three days to the second three days and how they've improved from year to year, I think it's been really good for them. And before you had automatic balls and strikes, uh, obviously the biggest issue has always been consistency of the strike zone. You see guys every single night that argue a call that they didn't think was either a ball or wasn't a strike. And in the minors, that's even worse because the majors are supposed to be the highest level of competition, right? So it's the best pitchers. It's the best hitters. It's also the best umpires. As you go down the ladder, you have lesser experienced umpires who are trying to get better at the craft and are trying to make their way to the majors themselves. And so what automatic balls and strikes have done, there's there's two big things that come off of this, right? The first one is obviously it helps them learn the strike zone, right? It helps them understand the true outside edges of the zone, the true top and bottom, because they can see uh, exactly what is a ball and what is a strike out of the hand because the robot does not get it wrong. And then from there, it helps them learn how an umpire is going to call it and how that could differ because they could see the exact same pitch from the exact same reliever on back-to-back days. It could be uh, Thursday to Friday. And they, it, the pitch might be a strike on Thursday, and it might be a ball on Friday, or it might be a ball on Thursday and a strike on Friday. And so they learn, okay, umpires sometimes do this or this or get this wrong. And so that's definitely something that these hitters need to learn. But then the other thing that, that was mentioned in there is it's also been really good mentally. For the hitters. And and I, I say mental, but I guess more psychological, right? Because there's not this external thing that you can complain about that did you wrong, right? If you look 
at a strike three from an ABS, you can't complain that the umpire screwed you. You got the ball wrong. And so anecdotally, a lot of these minor leaguers that we talked to in AAA, that they strike out looking or something like that, and they flush it and move on. Because they understand, like, rather than being mad at an umpire for doing what they think got a call wrong, they know the call was right. They know that they were the ones that made the mistake. And so it's easier for them to process it and move on. And I think that we oftentimes forget about uh, the mental side of baseball, the emotional side of baseball, and how, how one of the biggest adjustments that you have to make when you get into the minors, I talk a lot about how pitchers have to adjust coming from college from throwing once a week to throwing every five days. But you also have to get better at understanding how to fail, right? Understanding how to get things wrong. And you look at, like, there's some hitters who they'll go through college and they'll bat 450 or 500. They'll, they'll be successful almost every other day. And then when you get into the minors, all of a sudden you might be batting 300 or 220 You'll go through a cold stretch and you're having to learn to deal with the failure and having the automated balls and strikes aids that process because it takes away someone for you to blame. It requires the players to look at themselves and say like, okay, I don't know the strike zone as well as I thought I did, or I'm not good at spotting those sliders down and away. I need to do more work on that. So I think ultimately Uh, Automated balls and strikes is a good thing. I remain consistent in my belief that we are going to see, if we see robo-umps at the bigs in any sort of uh, form, it will not be completely automatic balls and strikes. It will be the robo-umps with the challenge system where you see, uh, where you can, the hitter, the pitcher, or the batter, the hitter, the pitcher, or the catcher can challenge the call and it's immediately replayed on the board. I still maintain that's how we're going to see automatic balls and strikes at the major league level, simply because the umpire's union has power and doesn't want to lose that aspect of the game. But automatic balls and strikes in the minors is making it easier for these players to learn what a major league strike zone looks like. Fantastic week this week. One more show coming up. In the meantime, if you have questions for Monday's mailbag, Tons of ways to get them to us. Best ways, probably our subtext. Links in the episode description. Links in the show notes. Until tomorrow's show, remember, it's always a great time to pay a minor leaguer.